oh, it's grass-fed, so they're free-range, and they live out under the blue sky. And they sing and play guitar, They too, sing right? and play guitar. Yeah. That is not the case. They stand <laughs> at the same bunks. They just eat hay. And that is qualified by the USDA as a grass-fed animal. Oh, wow. There's a lot of different definitions of natural. Like I know some people who say we give them antibiotics if we feel they need it. Our cattle never will it get an antibiotic or a steroid or a hormone injection, period. And it's also walking around. It is walking around, roaming on a pasture, <laughs> yes. I can sell beef to a mom of six kids who's barely getting by right next to the gentleman who wants the best steak he's ever had in his life at a fair price. Just because they don't yeah. bring in six figures a year doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to afford natural beef. All right, welcome back to Edible Economy, where we discuss all things local and economy and where they intersect. I'm your host, Nate. And I'm Kim. And we're excited today. We have Anna from Natural Beef Company. We've worked with Anna for quite some time now. Lots of fun experiences. She's uh, She can be crazy, fun. She might pull out a jig in the middle of a farmer's market. She, <laughs> <laughs> she might critique all of the singing that's going on in expert fashion. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so... Anna, welcome. It's nice to be here. Yeah, we're really glad you're here. So where, where do you want to start today, Anna? you want to tell us a little bit about your company, or do you want to jump into some fun stories that you got? Oh, we could start out with a good old-fashioned introduction, I suppose. Okay. That's always a good place to start, isn't it? Right at the beginning? So yeah. tell us a little bit about your company, what you guys do, where you're located. So we founded the company in late 2015. My husband and I moved down from his family's ranch in Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, good old Nebraska. <laughs> Land of the corn huskers. And we moved down here to Johnstown, Colorado, and just kind of wanted to share our, our not only our passion for raising good natural cattle, but also with encouraging consumption of good quality natural food down here on the front range. I mean, this is where I'm originally from, so a lot of passion for me personally down here. Nice. Anna actually has a really cool, cool story. She just said she's originally from here. But tell us, I want to hear a little bit, tell everybody, tell us a little bit about what where you grew up, not just in Colorado, but the next phase. Okay, so when I was nine, my dad made a mission trip to Cambodia, Southeast Asia with a friend just as a travel partner. And he came back and he said, my gosh, you guys. Cambodia is crazy. It's dark and they need a lot of help. And we said, where's Cambodia? You know? <laughs> Thinking, you know, we're looking on the continent of Africa, but it's over in Southeast Asia, just kind of Southeast of um, Bangkok, Thailand. So yeah, we, uh, we packed up and moved out there in 2000 and we were just working with a nonprofit organization over there at the time. And then we broke off from that and we started our own international school with with the organization over there and then we moved down to the coast and opened an orphanage for children in, infected and affected by AIDS okay. and HIV and then uh, also opened a school down there so did a lot of humanitarian aid during the Mekong River floods over there in the early 2000s and yeah crazy work so how long did you live over there uh, my family just moved back about a year ago and they're still back and forth so ever since 2000 but I moved back in 2000 uh, nine was the last time I was there. And when you say your family, that is your giant, large, extended family, not your immediate <laughs> husband and children. Yeah, so, no. How I'm, many brothers and sisters? Yeah, I'm one of 13. I'm, I'm the third child, the first daughter, so I may as well have been first anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's 13 of us, and they're all biological brothers and sisters. There's now been one added. She's the first child that my parents have adopted from Cambodia. Okay. So she is the youngest. She's just turned five. And uh, they're still finishing up all that paperwork. So there will be officially 14 of us after that's wow. finalized. And you're on number four in four. your own family, right? <laughs> and is it going to go to 13 or 14? Uh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> but it might, right? Because Rustler and his husband, he also has... 
13. No, 14. 14. He's one of 14. He's one wow. Of 14, so. Yeah. Gosh. That yeah, looks. and we had no idea that the other one of us had that many siblings. That kind of came out in the wash one day. <laughs> We're like, holy crap. You know, there's how many of us? And we were just laughing last night about if we were to get all of our siblings in one room together, which we know will never happen. Really? I mean, my siblings I, I haven't all been in the that. same room together. Okay. So, um, and his, his family all was together for the first time ever last year at his grandmother's funeral. So getting all of our siblings combined was, would be quite a feat, but yeah, there would, there'd be 27 of us. <laughs> Just kids. Wow. Just kids. That's not including <laughs> in-laws and or cousins. Or grandkids or any of that. Yeah. And one other special thing about Anna is there's two of you. Yes. I am an identical twin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the only set of twins in both of our families. So out of twenty seven tribes. Twenty seven kids. <laughs> there's only one set of twins and all right. Yeah. So, so is far. everybody uh beef eaters in the family? Oh yes, we're all carnivores. And do they My... all love your your all's natural beef? <laughs> I, a little too much, actually. We cooked up 14 <laughs> pounds of it last night when my folks came over. So. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so, okay, man. So, tell us a little bit more about the ranch life. and, and... Oh, my goodness. That's the good life, actually. Yeah. Um, honestly, that's, that's Nebraska's slogan, the good life. Okay. But, you know, there's something about waking up and walking out onto the balcony in your bathrobe, and you're looking over... <laughs> 5,000 acres as far as the eye can see. It's just open grass and soft swells of hills and, and sand. It's gorgeous up there. And, you know, in, in the midst of all that serenity, I think you find the strength to work harder. I think when, when your downtime is so peaceful and so calm, it's just so revitalizing for the, for the moments of the day that require an epic amount of work. You know, I mean, down here, I think when you're driving to and fro all the time and even going to the grocery store seems like a chore, everything starts to kind of just feel overwhelmingly difficult. And So this is the ranch that Russell, your husband, grew up on, yep. right? So do all of his siblings still work it? Is everyone or, or like how how many people does it take to run a ranch that large? <laughs> Grandpa? Founded the ranch. That's why they have so many kids. I know. <laughs> yeah, little slave laborers. <laughs> Grandpa founded the ranch 60 years ago. Okay. And he and his wife, Kay, and their two children ran the ranch by themselves for almost all of that 60 years. Um, Rustler's folks just moved back there about three, four years ago. Okay. And took it over for Grandpa when Grandma was moved into assisted living. So... Grandpa, with the help of a grandkid or two during the summer, did most of the work wow. for most of the years. What? That's so crazy. It, you know, when you when you kind of streamline everything, sure. when you're feeding 650 cows, you get it down to a science to yeah. make every minute in the day count. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there's those times of the years like branding, which requires hands, lots of hands. And, yeah. you know, you'll find crowds of anywhere from 15 to 50 people out there on branding day. Okay. So, yeah, it's... You know, so mentioning branding, I, I think that's a that's a cool concept. I just learned a little bit about it uh, from you this past year. You know, I, there was some event that took place where you helped me learn what branding was. And then we have, uh, we have another friend um, who went from being a Jimmy John's owner to now he's doing cattle ranching nice. down in Lamar, Colorado. But... Explain a little bit, you know, of the process. You get your brand. Why do you get a brand? What is it? Because I don't, I don't, I mean, unless you hear about it, unless you're in the industry, you don't know what it is except for something over the driveway when you're driving through the country. Well, <laughs> up there, especially this time of year when all the calves are being born, it, it, it's a couple times a week you'll hear on the radio that the sheriff's department's looking for a couple of calves that, Two guys in a blue Toyota pickup <laughs> snatched out the side of a, a field. It's it's true. It's a legitimate thing up there. You know, you'll There's have still cattle rustling. Yeah, well, because a lot of the times you'll have a cow that'll have a stillborn calf, and they need a calf to put on that cow, and they'll just go steal it out of somebody else's field. Oh, wow. So the the whole reason for a brand, besides just lineage and heritage and passing it down from generation to generation, is it's an identification and it's, it's a legally 
binding. You put a brand on a calf, that calf is yours. Um, and But how do you get it? How do you actually say, you know, this is my brand? Do, is there a prearranged well, design? That, you know, the like, design on the, like on the ranch, Grandpa designed his brand a long time ago. He and Grandma did. It was an F over a mill iron. Okay. And... You have to register that with the state. You have to submit it to the brand committee, and they'll look at it, make sure it doesn't look like anybody else's brand, and almost like a patent. Yep. Okay. It's basically the same deal. cow patent. Except for in Nebraska, it's about a hundred dollars to buy a brand. Okay. <laughs> Down here, it's about three, four hundred dollars okay. to get a brand, but um, it's a legitimate thing. When you sell cattle, you have to have a brand inspection so they can verify ownership, and you you have to pass on papers saying that. The cattle with this brand were sold to this guy. Okay. And, yeah. And so it's used, uh, let's say you take a bunch of cattle to, uh, I don't know, a feedlot or somewhere, a slaughterhouse mm -hmm. or something. Does it help them to identify, well, this is theirs and this is theirs, or is it really for identification just out on the range or something like no, that? No, when I worked in the feed yard, um, branding was one of our daily tasks. We would we would brand thousands of cattle okay. in a year. Um, for different families? Different families, companies. different ranchers, different okay. growers, you know. I mean, we, we grew Kroger beef there, and they'd bring them in by the thousands. Okay. And then we'd have, you know, mom and pops down the road would bring in 10 or 15 head. It didn't matter. That brand was how you okay. would identify cattle. That's really cool. That's really neat. So do you guys want to continue the same brand, or do you have designs on having your own brand one day? We'd like to have our own one day. Russell really wants grandpa's. Once, okay. once Grandpa passes on, he's still clinging onto it pretty tight. He hasn't signed <laughs> it over to anybody yet. And of course, Rustler's dad is, um, you know, second in line. But I think Rustler's really itching to get his hands on his grandpa's brand, just for heritage, posterity's sake, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Switching gears to the actual beef that you guys that you guys raise. Mm -hmm. One story that I hear you talking about a lot is the different tastes in animals based on what they eat. <laughs> yeah. That's, Tell me about that. <laughs> that's a fun conversation. It is a fun conversation. <laughs> it's a good point of contention, too, because I know people who will you know, argue with me about that all day, every day. But when you've been in the cattle business where you see different patterns of feeding and different diets, different breeds of cattle, and you taste that beef in accordance with what you know they eat, there is a significant difference. I mean, any hunter out there can tell you that if they go shoot a deer in the Sandhills of Nebraska, that it's going to taste completely different than a deer that's shot down here on the front range of Colorado that's been eating sagebrush. Um, and it's the same principle. There's different, there's different flavors and different grasses and different chemicals and um, <laughs> different things in the soils that, that will affect the meat. So we are what our animals eat once we eat. Them. Basically, yeah. So, yeah. Well, so what's a what's a good example of of uh, give me a diet that you think makes for good tasting beef versus one that not so good and why? First of all, and nobody hang me. Don't shoot me. Don't <laughs> corn. Yeah, you have got to have corn, and I know that's controversial too, especially with the GMOs and stuff that that's going on these days, but. Um, what I like to start cattle with is a good, just a good pasture of green, lush, tall grass for them to munch on. Those cattle will start from a young age to learn to develop the proper, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Digestion system. Oh, okay. Um, you know, how many he, stomachs do they have? Oh, don't quote me on this, but between four and seven, I think there's four. <laughs> <laughs> Lordy, my brain's not working today. Um, no, you know, when you teach them from a young age to, to get all the nutrients out of grasses, it, it, it'll it continue through their life. You get a lot of these feed yards out there that throw cattle on um, corn, and, and that's what they learn. And then when you put them on grass later, their bodies don't really know how to absorb anything from the grass. So they're just... They're just eating empty straw, basically. It's just going okay. right through them. But um, starting them with grass, working them through, adding corn to their diet later on as they're a little bit older and can learn to digest it a little bit at a time so you're not just overloading their system. It makes for a great 
diet for cattle. Um, there's people out there that feed flax. It, it will change the taste of your meat like nobody's business. Is it good? It tastes like natural grocery stores smell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it tastes vitamin-y. Okay. Um, okay. Which is not necessarily a bad thing if you like eating vitamins for supper. <laughs> maybe. 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 And there's, there's folks out there, I'm telling yeah. you, but... I might be one of them. Oh. <laughs> some days. I, I, I wish I were some days. Nate, we need to baptize this young lady here. <laughs> and then what's, uh, what's a diet, what, what's a typical diet that you see when you go to King Supers or Kroger? And it's, you know, it's not the best, but what, what, what do you, what's typically sold in the store? What are the cows eating? Okay. So from my personal experience, yeah, I, I worked in a feed yard for a couple of years before I moved to the ranch and started working with the natural cattle. And we had Kroger beef on the feed yard. We had some grass fed and corn fed. Okay. So I, I have a pretty good idea of what their diets are. <laughs> <laughs> so with the grass fed cattle, you know, there's a lot of misconception about how, oh, it's grass fed. So they, uh, they, they grew up on the range and... And they're free range, and they live out under the blue sky. And they sing and play guitar. They too, sing right? and play guitar. Yeah. That is not the case. They stand <laughs> at the same bunks, in the same fences. They just eat just hay, and that is qualified by the USDA as a grass-fed animal. Oh wow! So, um, you know, you go into natural grocers, and I'm not I'm not dissing any of these stores, y'all. You got to get that. Yeah. Um, I shop there regularly. But when you walk in and you see a grass-fed label, it does not necessarily mean that they are raised on a pasture. And Contrary to what the picture shows uh -huh. on the front of the package. So, like the, the grass-fed calves for Kroger and stuff, they were fed alfalfa and grass hay mix, sometimes some corn stalks in there. Um, no corn, but stalks. Just like the silage. Yeah. Okay. And, and... And it's, they're, they're very lean animals. They're very sickly. We had a very hard time keeping them healthy. Okay. Um, and then you got the corn fed and they're fed a mixture of grass, hay, alfalfa, hay, all of it chopped, of course, um, silage, uh, corn, ethanol distillers, <laughs> grain. And, um, there's usually some molasses and some rolled corn or cracked corn in there. And they and then, look like they just finished eating a grass-fed cattle, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're at least <laughs> twice the size by the t in, in, in the same amount of time. Okay. Um, however, those cattle and the grass-fed cattle, if they are not labeled natural on the label, I am telling you right now, and I can pretty much guarantee this, they have had at least five injections, an insecticide back pour, a safeguard. Oh God, that's, um, that's interesting, though. So, so if they're labeled natural, they haven't. Because I just see the the label natural, and I'm like, oh, that's just a marketing ploy. But you're saying that if there's if there's a good label on there, that it might. Depending on if it's USDA natural. Okay. And now natural is a very loose term in the USDA. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of people. I've met some of them. There's vendors at other farmers markets up and down the Front Range that have natural cattle um there's there's a lot of different descriptions or definitions of natural um so it could be anywhere from they don't get antibiotics like i know some people who say we give them antibiotics if we feel they need it but then we don't butcher them until the withdrawal date of that antibiotic oh, is passed okay. um but like our cattle the beef that we sell, it never, once in its life, will it get an antibiotic or a steroid or a hormone injection. I mean, period. And it's also walking around. It is walking around, roaming a on a pasture. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. What is the typical like lifespan of your cattle? <laughs> we have old cows out there that are almost seventeen years old. Wow. Really? Uh huh. But they're not going to be butchered. Oh no, we don't butcher cows. Okay. No, they they just grow babies. Uh, uh, the we gotcha. the butcher date for cattle is usually about fifteen months in the commercial market. They're usually going to be between twelve and fifteen months old when they're slaughtered. Okay. Um, now we have cattle that won't get butchered until they're over thirty months old. 
um, which is a good and a bad thing, you know, letting them grow at their own pace. The, the bad side of it is if they're over 30 months old, the USDA won't let us harvest things like T-bones or stuff that has that we want bones or marrow in because of the mad cow disease epidemic that the government, you know, announced a couple <laughs> years ago. Right. Um, you know, we've never experienced that. But 30, 30 months is pretty typical for, for the cattle that we slaughter. That's interesting. I didn't know there was a 30-month, like, max I didn't yeah. age. I want to switch gears too, or not switch gears. I want to stay on the food and feeding of cattle, and then I want to, I want to hear your story. Uh, so cows, I was pointing to Kimberly. Uh, so cows, what I've heard is if they're in front of grain, corn, whatever, that they'll just keep eating. They they won't stop eating. Have you heard this before? Um. Well, I, I know some people that way too. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I've sure. seen a calf or two do that. I've seen them eat to the point of getting themselves sick. And, um, and exploding. And bloating, exploding their gut and um, keeling over from just overeating <laughs> in one session. It doesn't really explode their gut. That's kind of a, a common misconception. What okay. it does is they, they do get bloated with gas. Um, people say cattle don't fart naturally. That is such a lie. Because <laughs> trust me, they do. I spend hours and hours and hours, you know, blessing the cowboy riding next to me, <laughs> blaming him for the cow that was next to me on the other side. Um, no, what happens is their their stomach bloats and they don't release gas properly. And then it can suffocate them because it actually compresses their lungs to the point where they can't uh, get any air in. Okay. Makes a little more sense. Yeah. All right. I, I did romanticize about the cow eating so much that it's got, I know it's weird to say romanticize, but it's just weird to think <laughs> that some animal, because we, you know, we have a lab and I can imagine that if I just kept pouring food, I, I wonder if he would eat until his gut split. I had a puppy <laughs> who got into the dog food bag once upon a time and we dang near lost him. Okay. Yeah. It happens. I've seen horses do it. Chickens will do it. Chickens do it worse than any animal I've ever seen. They They'll will, just overeat until they, they die? They will fill it till the point where they literally have it coming out of their mouth and no room in between. <laughs> They're a smart animal. They're disgusting. <laughs> I love chickens, but no. No, thank you. Oh, we're excited. We're getting some chickens. Maybe, maybe now, now we've got one more thing to worry about out at the farm. <laughs> worrying about chickens overeating. <laughs> What's your thought on uh, on grass-fed beef? Share, <laughs> share honestly. <laughs> I will be honest. That is that is a a huge point of um, interest in my life. I've I've put a lot of studying and research into that over the last couple of years, especially. You know, working in the feed yard, seeing grass-fed versus grain-fed cattle was one thing. Getting out on ranches and seeing grass-fed versus grain-fed is a different thing. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of ranchers out there that have grass-fed for years, and they do great, and they've got it down to science, and their cattle do okay, you know. Um, but how do they taste? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> I don't eat it. <laughs> I don't eat it. I do not like grass-fed beef. I, I, and... Why? It, it, it has a, a very earthy flavor to it. it. Is it tougher? It's it's significantly tougher. Okay. Is it leaner? Is that the bear shit in the woods? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, you can beat that if you need to. Yeah, it's extremely lean. And and I, I tend to like that fat. That, that gives that buttery flavor yeah. and that tenderness and that moisture yes. that your beef needs. So that takes us to... I, because at the farmer's markets, you guys cook samples and yeah. you take them around. We're and brutal. it tastes like they were cooked in butter. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah you know. It's and delicious. so tell us more about like where you guys sell and and people can find your meat. So farmer's markets are our little niche. We we love that outlet. It gives us the opportunity to interact with people and educate them on why we raise the beef the way it's raised and why we believe that that's how beef should be raised, not just out of tradition or, you know, out of finances. I mean, that's really how we believe they should be raised. So it's fun to be able to talk to people and educate them and let them know that cattle did eat corn 
back in Egyptian times. It's not just in the last 50 years. <laughs> um, and reaching out into the communities, getting involved. We've run into 4-H groups and youth groups and mission groups. Um, we've been able to donate meat to people and do fundraisers. And that's that's been a huge part of, of our business down here. And that's what I really enjoy is not just the educational part of it, but getting into the community, encouraging people to eat well. And and you have quite a following because, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, there's always a line at your stand at the farmer's markets. but Partially because they entertain. Right. They, they're their pretty and educate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, like, off-season, you know, non-farmer's market season, you are delivering meat every day. Oh, my right? Lord, we are All so busy. day, yeah. every day. So... So people love it. Uh, they do. We are so blessed. I mean, we came down here on a whim, and we knew that there were so many people already in this market down here. And mm -hmm. we were living in a little 35-foot camper trailer on the edge of the meadow up there on the ranch. And we sat down to have some steak for supper one night, and my husband looked at me. He said, you know, we got to share this with the world. <laughs> And I said, no, I want it all for myself. <laughs> he said, no, I really think we need to share this with the world. This is the best beef there is. And and we packed up three months later, and we're down here on the front range. Like and right before farmer's market season yeah. started, right? And you were That just, winter, like, we moved down in, in October. And, and okay. that winter, we started filling out applications for farmer's okay. markets. Okay. Um, we did a little... Winter Farmer's Market in Louisville was our first farmer's market that we ever went to. And it was snowing like a son of a gun. It was like 15 degrees out, oh, and Rustler and my little brother went and did it. And they came home with the biggest grins on their faces. They'd sold $70 worth of meat. And it was, it was all to one woman. The market and, manager? No, she was another vendor there. Okay. And, and it, oh man, it, it kind of became an addiction, like watching people's reaction to this meat and seeing how much they enjoyed it and, and how blessed they were by how we raised the cattle and by our convictions for how cattle should be raised. And by the next summer, my goodness, we were in full swing, 12 to, 12 to 15 markets a, a week wow. was our, was our max that we hit, which is crazy for a couple of. That is. Is that when you joined? Was that summer that that yep. we all met and joined? Yeah, Nevada we met you guys and... our first year. Okay. So that was we oh, were yeah. we started out in the Colorado Springs markets that summer, and I was driving to the Springs five days a week. I would load my kids oh, up in the wow. car, <laughs> and I'd tote all my coolers down there, and I'd sit down there for about eight hours a day. And I think our biggest market down there, we did, we did just a couple hundred dollars in a day, and but you were loving it. It was, it was it was cumbersome. I don't know about that. We would have a long drive, but still making the yeah. Okay. Yeah, we are. I oh, think yeah. our worst Tote day the down there. Uh, we had two people walk through the market in an eight-hour span, and as did I was, they buy beef? No. As I was pulling out of the market, I heard this lady stop, stop, stop. I forgot to come to the other market on Monday, and I really need a chuck roast. So I dug in in the back of the Suburban and got her a chuck roast out, and that was my $25 a day. Of course, I had to pay babysitters and gas yeah. money. And yeah, and it's don't discount your own time every well, time. Well, I'm glad yeah. you found lots of success in Arvada. Yep. We have in Westminster. Both of them yes. have been fabulous. Yes. We've been blessed. It's taken a lot of work to get to where we are today. and But you guys really do have, I mean, there's always a line. Oh, yeah. There's always, yeah, and if you miss. Yeah, we have a miss, massive following now. I, I, love, I love the stories that she tells us. If they miss, uh, you spend a lot of time preparing your customers for the withdrawals of not having you there. Yeah. But without fail. Y'all wouldn't let us tell our customers this last year that we weren't going to be at a certain market. But, but without got, fail. I had 55 missed calls by 2 o'clock. That's where I was headed with the, the emails and calls. Oh, my Lanta. Hey, doesn't it make for a good week afterwards, though, too? Yeah, it made for a good online sales week. Too. Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry we missed y'all. You know, order online and we'll bring it to your door. And they really ate that up. So yeah. <laughs> it was good. And you have your your sister and your brother-in-law. I mean, I'm sure there's other people that are employees or subcontractors that you work with. But it's not just 
friends and family working on the ranch and stuff, it's you've brought them into the fold of working, doing farmers markets with you, and you guys have kind of uh, I, I don't know, you have a and even ha- Grandpa, he's gonna come to some farmers markets this yeah, summer, right? He came down for one farmers market last year and. Oh, he was so tickled. People were so excited to meet the guy who oh, started yeah. the ranch. And he's out there in his cowboy hat, you know, nice. asking people if they like to eat beef. And uh-huh. they ended up taking pictures with him. And he was so tickled, feeling like a celebrity <laughs> out there that he's like, I have to come back for more. <laughs> so, yeah. Talk about the the cuts of meat. What What's, what's a good one? Why do you like it? And, and for our listeners, you might hear the fourth participant in the uh, in the podcast today and it's the newest addition to your family little little cedar yeah little cedar james he's uh, nine weeks old now nice. he was my farmer's market buddy this last year obviously <laughs> <laughs> he'll be a mascot at some of the markets this year uh yeah yeah the kids tend to be mascots at yeah. the market <laughs> <laughs> but what are so what are the what are some good cuts and why and what are yeah you know it really depends on what what a single person's you know preferences are we get a lot of customers who will walk up and say what's a good cut of meat yeah, you got to respond with well they all are because because you're well, a salesperson <laughs> <laughs> they legitimately are yeah, following it up with well how how is your diet you know do you prefer fat do you prefer lean do you want really red rich meat do you want you know something that's gonna stick with you a little longer and it's it's really finding out what's gonna suit each person's individual diet so i mean if you're like me and you have metabolism issues where you cannot gain weight or keep weight on trust me folks it sounds like a blessing it is not (laughs) (laughs) you know i i can sit down and eat a ribeye or a chuck roast about any night of the week you know, you get that good marbling in there, really rich, juicy meat. Um, you know, our chuck roasts are about three pounds each, and my husband and I will polish one of those off in one meal. <laughs> you, know, or, you know, a 16-ounce ribeye, I'll sit down and, and eat that without blinking twice. Um, but, you know, we've got customers who, who deal with diabetes, and we've got customers who, um, you know, have thyroid issues or weight gain issues. Um, and, and, and it's, it's always my pleasure to recommend something, you know, match them to one, match them yeah. to a meat right now. A like flat iron me. steak. Okay. Yeah. A flat iron steak. It's extremely tender. It's cut from the center of the chuck. Um, it was developed by the university of Nebraska. So it's a good old Nebraska steak. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of your favorite stories to tell. I, sure. I, I love that. You know, that is cool. It's a cool claim to fame. Yeah. But, um, it's very, very lean. It's 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 not you know it's not a juicy like melting your mouth type meat it's it's God, I'm, I'm hungry. i know i'm hungry yeah, now i'm, I'm, right. I'm going home and having Loaded a flat baked potato it's got a flavor <laughs> like nothing else i mean it's pretty I, easy to cook too so they're extremely easy to cook yeah are scared of putting a you know, cooking a steak at home. Well, we've had customers say, okay, so if I buy a $20 steak and take it home and ruin it, you know, I'm going to hate myself. It's extremely easy to cook. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about having to grill meat. I have not grilled a steak in years. (laughs) You should give classes. I need to come like learn from you guys. Faith and I are hoping to do some blogs or some V-blogs, vlogs, as (laughs) y'all trendy people say, on our website this year. You should. And we're going to connect it with our social media, which we'd like to connect to the markets in the area. And um, we're going to do a cut of the week and we'll teach you how to how to cook it through a video and we'll put a recipe on online with it and then oh, that's we'll get a great idea. You also yeah. get a coupon or we'll have it on special at the markets. I think for a lot of people don't know meat. how to cook it if it's not on the grill. So it'd be good yeah. to know like I mean little do people know that searing it in a cast iron pan for a couple minutes on each side and popping it in the oven for 10 minutes will turn out the most tender perfect steak you've ever tried. Perfect. So we are we're going to do we're going to do some videos this year teach everybody how to how to cook different things we're excited so what's about your that. favorite cut of meat oh you know i'm a ribeye rib girl <laughs> nice yeah. Yeah, yeah i'm a ribeye person 
I mean, everybody's a ribeye person. Yeah, really. <laughs> like, but who is that? Um, but no, I I also like uh, chuck eye steaks, which are known as the poor man's ribeye. Um, there's only six of them per shoulder usually, um, so we don't get very many. We only get about twelve or so per animal. Why are they the poor man's? Because they look almost exactly like a ribeye. Okay. Um, it's just not a ribeye. They're they're a little bit smaller. They they're a couple ounces smaller than a typical ribeye. Um, and some people argue that they're not as tender. I mean, we age ours about 45 days. So ours are extremely tender. But that fat... I want to come back to what aging is, but keep yeah, going. The meat that comes from the shoulder, from the chuck area of a cattle, of, of a cow, of a steer, of a, whatever you want to call sure. it. So, of a cattle. <laughs> An animal. Of cattle. <laughs> they, uh, it's so rich and flavorful. So that that's one of my other favorite cuts is a chuck eye. What are you guys have a, a a cut of meat? I know what it is, but I want you to talk about it. But name some cuts that people aren't used to hearing. The, a name of uh, I mean, you know them, but not everybody knows them. <laughs> we so. were laughing the other day, my brother-in-law and I, about that because we were laughing about what steak connoisseurs we've become. You know, <laughs> I mean, usually when you say, "Ooh, I want to have a steak," what comes to mind? A ribeye, a New York, a filet mignon. Maybe a sirloin, you know, go down to the old Outback Steakhouse and get right. yourself a sirloin. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have almost 25 variations of steaks. Um, we've got a Terry's Major, which nobody knows. It's also called a Denver steak. There's only two of those steaks per animal, and they're extremely difficult to harvest. They come from the center of the shoulder as well. Um, and it's a rarely used muscle in the body, it right? Is the, yeah, it's an, it's not load-bearing, so it's naturally extremely tender. Um, yeah. Those sell pretty quick once people find out what they are. So that's kind of our ace in the hole. <laughs> they're not cheap. Yeah, they're not are, cheap. People come back for them yes. once they've had them. No oh, yeah. What. And you charge by the ounce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's we It's not, have... you know, this much a pound. It's No, you know... People always ask us, you guys sell your steaks by the ounce? What is that all about? Well, we cut our steaks anywhere from four ounces up to 64 ounces. So doing the math on a per pound on a four-ounce steak, sometimes people are sitting there going, huh? <laughs> Whereas adding a dollar fifty or multiplying a dollar fifty four times. So but what is the Denver cut? What is that? How much is it per ounce? Uh, that's four ninety nine an ounce. Wow. And those ones are <laughs> anywhere from about six ounces to about... 10 to 12 ounces. Okay. And they sell out like crazy. That's just how good they are. And we've upped the price. We started with those steaks at only about $10 a steak when we first started out our business. And we could not <laughs> keep them on hand. We're like, if we if we raise the price, then people won't just buy those and not that's buy anything else. That's the Denver cut? Or is yeah, that that's the Denver oh, steak. Wow. Okay, and Denver so, steak. I mean, it's not like we're upping the price just, just for more money. I mean, that money's great, but... To keep our inventory balanced is also important, and we can't we can't raise it high enough to keep people from buying it. And I don't want to. People need to be able to get good quality beef at an affordable price too. I think that's an interesting concept. I I don't remember where I was listening or, uh, but I heard about balancing what you sell because if you if you of of the animal you know if you sell too much of one thing and then it's gone and then you start going through that same cut or ground beef or something like that then you've got a backstock of too much of the other stuff talk about that a little bit like how do you manage that but, but what is it like what's the problem well a whole beef will yield about 425 pounds of beef okay boneless trimmed packaged beef that's a lot of beef. Um, however, about 125 to 150 pounds of that for us, the way we cut it, is ground beef. Okay. Um, about a third of the total is roasts. Your chuck roast, your rump roast, your eye of round roasts. Um, and then the other third is all of the steaks combined. You're talking New York's ribeyes, filet mignon, T-bones, um, sirloins tips top sirloins that's a third only a third and steaks are popular you know i mean everybody yeah. wants a good steak and especially at the farmers markets where it's a lot of impulse buying it's yeah or they're coming what to good just steaks do y'all have you know? steak or they're just home. coming to see you yeah and yeah <laughs> grill it that day then, yeah you know? so yeah 
making sure that we don't end up with thousands and thousands of pounds of ground beef on hand and no steaks in our inventory, we have had to really work with our prices and work with different markets and promoting different cuts at different markets um, to ensure that our inventory does move at an even pace because we never want to sell somebody old meat. Our meat is always guaranteed up to five years um, when it's flash frozen. But I don't want to sell somebody a five-year-old package of meat. I'm telling them it'll stay in their freezer for five years, yeah. not mine. Yeah. So yeah. making sure it moves equally and is, what do you do to do, do you just do sales i mean you try to keep that inventory to where a cow moves through and is gone and then you're doing the next <laughs> yeah we promote like certain cuts that's what we'll sample at a market if we need something to sell like a sirloin tip lots of people they just come look at the the menu and they they say oh you've got a ribeye that's what i want without thinking i mean that's just how people do it is familiar cuts is what they okay. want yeah so Say Adam at an Arvada market on a Sunday morning. Your brother-in-law. Yeah, yeah my brother-in-law Adam. He, he'll sample what I, I want to sell. So if we throw a sirloin tip on the griddle and somebody comes up and says, I need a couple ribeyes, and then he hands them a, a sirloin tip sample, they'll say, oh, my God, what was that? You know, And they'll say, oh, that's just a sirloin tip. And they'll say, well, give me a couple of those. That was yeah. great. You well, know? Adam's like... The best. Cook, oh, right. He I mean, is he's the best. The best one. <laughs> he is. I cannot pay that guy enough. Like, I, I mean, there is no max dollar in my book to keep him around. Yeah. He's an asset to our company. People love him. He's so personable and he's so knowledgeable. And, and, and he, he makes that, that boy a really can sell beef and yes. he yeah. can cook it. Yeah. He, he does well. So let's go back. What What is aging? Oh yeah, Tell what us is a aging? Bit more about aging. That. So, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you buy a steak, the average grocery store steak has been aged three to seven days. That is the time from when it's killed to when it's packaged. Now, what we do is we age anywhere, uh, the least amount of time we'll age something is about 30, 35 days. And we go up to, we've, we age our eye of round steaks almost 50 days. So, what that is, is it allows the meat time to break down the fibers in the muscle to tenderize it. It's a natural okay. tenderizing process. What they do, like for grocery store meat, is they inject it with chemical tenderizers, which obviously what's Gross. the point of raising natural cattle yeah. if we're going to inject it after it's dead. Wow. Um, so that aging process, you can do a dry age where it'll sit in a temperature control room and dry age. And uh, there's folks that do a wet age, um, which will like in a freezer, a, a, a big old freezer cooler. Um, and there's, diff there's different processes, and I encourage anybody listening to look it up. It's really incredible how it works. Um, to watch the process is, is a lot more educational than me sitting here explaining it. I know this is a podcast, but <laughs> just to see how the, how the fibers break down naturally is really cool. Um, and most of our, I, I don't want to say competitors, but fellow beef vendors down here on the front range, you know, they'll, they're, they're in that, that two to three week range. And that's kind of one of the things that sets us apart. It takes a lot more money and a lot more time. And when we run out of steaks right. in our inventory and we have to tell our customers, it's going to be another six weeks before yeah, the steaks are ready to happens. age, but we will not budge. You know, that, that aging process is really what sets us apart. Um, okay. I mean, we've had people come back and say, I ate my top sirloin last night and I didn't use a knife. You know, how in God's name do you do that? A lot of it's the aging, a lot of it's the genetics and the feeding, of course, but the aging is very important to us. So it's almost like fermentation. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's or it what... is fermentation. Basically, right. yeah. yes, it is. That's pretty neat. So tell us like a really funny story from the market or just... I mean, I know you have so many of them. What's the first one that comes to you? And if you love, don't, I'm going to start filling them in. And I you. love my customers so much. I mean, our customers are so amazing. I mean. They are. They're loyal. We have such loyal, loyal, incredible, especially in this front range area. I mean, we ship all over the United States. But, oh gosh, we got some of those people that'll, that'll come up just to pick a fight. Those are some of my favorites, you know, because... Oh. You're converting. I, I gotta be. I gotta be courteous. You know, I'm not gonna be an ass to people who are 
you know, <laughs> standing in front of my booth. But so what do they just try and tell you, like? That you're wrong. <laughs> Do they call you murderer? Yes, I've been called murderer. I've been called an animal abuser. Ugh. And how can you name a cow and then eat it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've heard a lot of dandies, but we had this one gal come up and she asked if we were grass-fed or corn-fed. And I said, well, we're grass-raised, corn-finished. Oh, what does that even mean? And I said, well... You know, we, there's, a, there's a very specific process that we follow in introducing corn into the cattle's diet. And she continued to tell me that she'd read a magazine at the doctor's office. <laughs> now, when a, when a customer... The authority on everything. Or, when they say they've read a magazine at the doctor's office, it's best to just pretend to be busy. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's better than I saw on the internet, though. Maybe. Sometimes. Maybe. Sometimes. Yeah. The crap that's published in magazines these days, I don't know. Um, she She went on to tell me that cattle had only been fed corn for the last couple of decades and that it was completely wrong and it was almost like torturing the animals. And I had started mentioning different stories in history, you know, like the Egyptians. I said, well, there's hieroglyphs and, and portraits of cattle being fed grain in Egypt from thousands and thousands of years ago. Well, why would the Egyptians feed their cattle grain? You know, I said, well, because they lived in a desert. I'm pretty sure there wasn't a lot of lush grass, you know. And she says, well, the Egyptians never should have imported cattle to somewhere where there wasn't enough grass to sustain them. So, well, if you want to travel back in time and let the Egyptians know that they were doing it wrong, you can be my guest. So that's one of my favorites. Yeah, she's a, she's stopped by a couple times since to visit with us, you know, but... And, and your conversions. You've got a good conversion we got a list. rate. We have a Talk list. Talk about your conversion list. I, I I just find this fascinating. Now, there's different kinds of conversions. Well, you know I mean, the They're I'm all on the list. You know, we okay. have lots of vegetarians come to our booth and talk to us. Um, or vegans. We've had vegans. Um, and it's not just, it's not just, oh, I don't meet, eat meat because it's not trendy. We've had a, quite a few of those. But there are vegetarians that are vegetarian for diet purposes, for religion purposes, you know. Mm-hmm. And I say conversion in all respect. You know, everybody's entitled to their own diet choices. I'm not going to shove anything down anybody's throat. But we, we've had Unless people... Unless it's a 16-ounce quarter ounce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've had folks come up that have chosen to be vegetarian because they don't agree with the commercial way of raising cattle and feeding cattle and i totally agree with them i mean if that's all that was available out there right i mean it's one of the reasons we're all here exactly but um we have people who are you know have come up that were vegetarian because they feel like you know eating a dead animal is eating the essence of death i mean we've heard just about everything but um we do we have a list of of converted vegetarians that <laughs> have either converted just because they appreciate the way we raise the cattle and the way that the meat is handled afterwards. You guys should get a bell. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> We've got another conversion. Here's your free half pound of, I think, burger. For me, like how it's handled afterwards is a big reason mm-hmm. that I will eat meat, specifically your meat. Yeah. Um, and because knowing it's not going to this mass, like, feedlot slaughter production house where it's injected with all sorts of fillers and preservatives yeah and garbage yeah and a lot of the vegetarians out there that's why you know and i always laugh at vegetarians you know because it's kind of fun to poke fun at people every (laughs) once in a while i'll admit it but you know everybody they do have valid reasons and so being respectful of those reasons educating people on why Meat's not going to give you high blood pressure. It's not going to give you high cholesterol if you're eating the proper meat. Again, that goes back to the different cuts of meat and what you're consuming. And it goes back to how the cattle are fed. Um, the University of Texas at A&M did a study on grass-fed versus grain-fed beef and found that there was actually no difference in the cholesterol levels of people who ate one versus the other and that the omega-3... Um, content was 0.032% different for grass-fed compared to grain-fed cattle. And you start educating people on that. You know, oh, my doctor said I can't eat red meat at all because, you know, my blood pressure will be high. And we like to hand out these 
educational pamphlets for them and they then they come back we have the the medically vegetarian folks and i I, (laughs) we've been very blessed we have customers who are battling cancer who have not been able to stomach red meat they haven't been able to digest it um who we you know gave samples to and said try this let us know if it works for you and they've come back nice time and time again we've had people with arthritis who oh my doctor said it's all the red meat i'm eating that's causing my arthritis to flame up and again just putting it in their hands and saying try it giving them different options and yeah i think that's had some awesome testimonials on that too you sell uh primarily direct to consumer absolutely so in the essence of edible economy what 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 is direct to consumer and why do you do that and why do you specifically why do you not sell to grocery stores um there's in my opinion don't cut me down there's a big problem in america where the middleman has figured out how to keep the little man little and the big man big and so blame it on the middle, Mary. <laughs> sometimes you have to. I like it. Um, you know, and, and I, I say that very carefully because it's kind of a broad brush statement. But, you know, you see people like Walmart who can who can who can take an, a product and sell it really cheap to where the the lower class I don't want to say lower class it's kind of a demeaning term how about in less a, fortunate the less fortunate the, they don't have as much money in America you know yeah. or they don't choose to spend their money on food yeah yeah and when more they do it's food. sometimes more processed food but yeah. anyway it they is. end up Continue eating crappier food because it's cheaper and then you have the folks who um, sell the really high end stuff to the the high end buyers. You know, the, the high-class folks that just spend money because it's kind of a bragging right. What we, would, what we want to do is, is create a product and a company where I can sell beef to a mom of six kids who's barely getting by um, right next to the gentleman who wants the best steak he's ever had in his life. And I want to be able to sell it to both of them at a fair price, you know? I mean, we have customers who come up who are on food stamps, and I'm so blessed that that's where they they choose to come buy their food. And it's not because, oh, you're the only person that'll take it, but they want quality food, and just because they don't bring in, you know, six figures a year doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to afford natural beef. I mean, you go to Whole Foods, and you go to buy a natural steak, it's out of this world expensive, even natural ground beef. So keeping that affordable and keep keeping the playing field even, the, you know, is extremely important to us. You know, there's been people who said, oh, you could jack your prices up. You could sell your beef for twice what you're selling it. There's people down here that do. You know, they'll sell a pound of ground beef for 12 bucks. I can't justify selling ground beef for $12. I've been in the place where... Because it's not moral to you is what you're saying. Yeah, where my mom added tofu to ground beef to... Make it stretch farther. You know, I've been in that in that boat, and it's a tough place to be. And my mom just wanted to feed her kids well and healthy. And sometimes that's not an option if you don't have the means. What I'm hearing for you is direct-to-consumer is what you just talked about, you know, making sure that you're helping um, and cutting out the middleman is, is the big thing for you. Mm-hmm. But you also really like to have the contact with the customer. Absolutely. And then you also sell online, but when you're when you sell online, it's still very direct to consumer, even though that's considered direct to consumer, um, because you deliver it. Yeah. Like, not just your company, <laughs> no. but you get in a car, pile your you kids in and, your kids and drive <laughs> house to house. And we've had we had a gentleman order from us over in Cherry Creek. He'd found us online and he ordered, you know a big old order of high-end steaks and I showed up to his front door with a little brown bag and <laughs> and his little receipt and everything and and he was just touched by it 
And, you know, he's like, this is the kind of business I want to support, you know, not just a, a corporation where you're getting paid pennies for doing what you're doing. And it, it, it was humbling for me because he had no idea what kind of company we were when we or, when he ordered from us. It oh, wasn't cool. until I showed up to his doorstep. So he found you online, not mm-hmm. at a market initially. Yeah, his okay. wife told him that she wanted to start eating natural beef. And okay. eating better. And so he'd found us online by just Googling natural beef yeah, in Colorado. Yeah, great name for that, huh? <laughs> right? And, and it's humbling. You know, people want that connection. They want that, that, that direct buy. They want to know where their food's really coming from. And, and whose hands it's in the entire time. I like yeah, that. That's, that's cool. And that's what's so important about edible economy. Like we want people on that are talking about the local economy and it crosses all barriers from, you know, doesn't matter what income level you have. Like if you have, if you want to support your local economy, you're going to go to farmer's markets and you're going to search out your local, mm-hmm. the local people. Yeah. And it doesn't matter about demographics. It doesn't matter about what party you support. Everybody likes exactly. to eat good food. Everybody, <laughs> likes, everybody likes good beef. Yeah. Yeah. They do. Yeah. All right, so tell us like your website, your Facebook page, and where how people can follow you and find you and order more meat. Well, oddly enough, our website's uh, bestblackangus.com um, okay. because we are the best black Angus out there. I mean, nice. I'll stand behind that 100%. Nice. My meat is guaranteed. If you don't like it, bring it back. I will give you a full refund if it's not the best steak you've ever had. That's a sweet and, deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I stand behind that 100%. We've... We've never been asked for a refund. (laughs) Never. Well, here, you know, I bought a 16 ounce. Here's a half an ounce. (laughs) Can I go ahead and get that now? (laughs) Again, we're blessed. And it it just, it, our product proves itself. So best black angus.com. Okay. And you guys have uh, weekly deals and things on there, maybe monthly. Yeah. They're usually, um, every two weeks we send out a a newsletter with specials. Um, keep you up on, you know, to date on what's going on in the company. Uh, We announced the the new baby's birth a couple weeks ago and we had a special (laughs) based around that. And God bless everybody. I he's mean, been awesome this show, by the way. Yeah, I know. He's, he's done a great job. He's, again. he's contributed very well. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's there's a place on the website where you can sign up for that weekly specials letter that we send out every two weeks. I guess it is. And do you list all your farmers markets? We do. We have a markets page on the website that okay. lists every market that you can find us at. If we randomly join festivals throughout the year, we'll put it on there as well. Um, there's date, times, and Google Map links. If you click on the address listed under the website, it takes you on a direct link. And social? Social media, we got Natural Beef Company on Facebook. Um, natural, spelled N-A-T-U-R-A-L-L. Yes, Natural Beef Company. Natural. Natural. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were shocked that that name had never been taken. I am too. Um, but yeah, my sister, Faith, she's my twin. She is going to be our head of social media this year. We are so excited. She's oh, getting ready awesome. to launch the new Twitter and new Facebook page. We're going to be on Instagram. There you go. We will be doing specials with hashtags, and you can bring you know, a post to the farmer's market and show us your hashtag and get a special. And like I said, um, we'll be doing those vlogs. Um, those will be oh, tied cool. to different farmer's markets. and. So yeah. So you'll start a YouTube channel too, or you'll just embed them on your website? Um, I don't know what what her plans are there. I think we'll stay we, posted. We'll stay posted, okay. but I think she'd like to do the YouTube channel as well. Okay, and then does it list all? Does your website list all of your farmers markets? Yes. Okay, and then I have one. You more. already asked that. Just oh. so you know. Uh, sometimes I tend to do that because uh, I, I, I have a question that's in my head and I just I have to get it out there. So what are you going to be doing in October on the weekends this year? Oh, my Atlanta. <laughs> I'm excited. We're going to be down at Bromley Farm in Brighton, Colorado, the historic, the historic Bromley Farm. And we'll be down there every weekend for the fall festival again. We were there this last year. It was awesome. We sold our natural Black Angus hot dogs and Franks and hamburgers. I think we'll be doing that again this year. And beef out of the freezer if it was there. Beef out of the freezer. Yeah. Um, You know, we we had quite a few folks stop by and just pick up meat 
just to take home and cook. So that was awesome as well. But not only do you sell the delicious ready-to-eat beef there, as opposed to at the farmer's markets where you're selling it for people to make it at home, but you guys do some other neat things there too. Uh, Rustler, do you remember what Rustler did last year and what he's he going to do this year? He taught everybody how to rope. He sure <laughs> did. He is an original, authentic cowboy, and he is there <laughs> to teach you how to do that stuff and then you also did a little uh yeah. little, little, little show last we'll year we'll be bringing the horses down again this year and what um, are you going to do with them we're going to give demonstrations on handling cattle from horseback and the real ranching way you know i mean lots of people don't even think that exists anymore <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we'll have them down there and we'll give roping demonstrations and branding demonstrations and that that'll be a that'll be a hoot, and I'm hoping, fingers crossed, this year we'll get some pony rides in this year. Yes, yeah. Get people really hands on. <laughs> Anna, thank you. Thanks for coming out today. Oh, this was a lot yeah, of fun. Thank you. It's been a blast. <laughs> and we'll put all of Anna's information in our show notes on our website, edibleeconomy.com, and also list our social media sites and anything else Nate I think that's that's good for the day awesome good for the show <laughs> thanks for oh listening. I have one more thanks Morrow Media